welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. Grab your copy of God's Word. I hope you brought your Bible with you to church this morning. Pull it up on your phone, your iPad, whatever you have with you. And find the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. The book of Numbers, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. And we're going to take a detour again this morning from the narrative of Nehemiah. We'll be back to Nehemiah next Sunday as they dedicate the wall and celebrate all that God has done there in the completion of the wall of Nehemiah's day. This morning, I want to preach a subject to you entitled, Looking Unto Jesus. Looking Unto Jesus from Numbers chapter 21. Throughout the scriptures, we are told and instructed to look unto Jesus. Psalm cha- or excuse me, Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 22 says, Look unto me and be saved. Psalm chapters 121 and verse 1 says, I will lift my eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. The writer of Hebrews said it this way in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, throughout the scriptures, we're told, look unto Jesus. For the child of God today, you've been saved by God's grace. You are to be looking unto Jesus, not only author of your salvation and the author of your faith, but the finisher of your faith. So for the child of God, you should be looking to him to finish the work of sanctification that began in your life the day you surrendered your life unto Jesus through repentance and faith and experienced the free gift of salvation. So from the moment you got saved, God who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it. And that work is a work of sanctification. And you look to the same man to do the work of sanctification that you looked to to do the work of salvation. So for the child of God, I want to give you a clear message this morning. Look unto Jesus, who is the finisher of your faith. There's others here this morning that are unsaved. You don't know that if you exhaled here on this earth for the last time, where you would inhale for the first time. But the scriptures tell us it's appointed unto man once to die. You are going to leave this earth. And you're going to find yourself in a place of eternal destination. And if you die without Jesus Christ, you're going to live in a place forever. Let me say it better. You're going to die in a place forever a place that was created for Satan and his angels called hell. And you're looking for something. And I want to encourage you today to look unto Jesus. So many people are looking for satisfaction today. They're looking for fulfillment. They're looking for peace. And you've searched for it in so many places. 
And I would tell you this morning that the only place you're going to find satisfaction, the only place you're going to find fulfillment, the only place you're going to find peace, true peace, is when you look unto Jesus. The wisest man that ever lived is a guy by the name of Solomon. And through the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon goes on a search and he is searching for satisfaction. He begins by looking in all the wrong places, which is often what many of us do. He searched for satisfaction in wisdom. He's the wisest man to ever live. And he said, it was vanity. I did not find satisfaction in being the wisest person on earth. He then looked for satisfaction in wealth. So many of us believe if we could just win the mega million, I'd be satisfied. Now y'all looking at me all spiritual this morning, but I'm telling you, there's folks in here this morning that think if I just had this much money, I wouldn't have any more problems. Let me tell you, if you won the mega millions and I don't know what it's, what it's, what it's up to, it was like over a billion dollars a couple of weeks ago I saw. Temptation almost got the best of me when I walked in the fast fair, man, I'm telling you. A billion dollars? But if you had a billion dollars, you know what you'd find? You'd want two billion. Because you won't find satisfaction. You won't find fulfillment. And you won't find peace in wisdom. And you won't find it in wealth. Solomon said, I looked for it in wine. And I didn't find it there either. I would say to you, many people have searched to medicate themselves to the problems of life by turning to wine and to strong drink. And what you're going to find out is that leads to a road of disaster as well. Nobody's ever sat in my office and said to me, you know what? When I started drinking, my life just got so much better. Nobody's ever said that to me. Matter of fact, it just gets worse. Solomon said, I looked for it in wisdom. I didn't find it. I looked for it in wealth. I didn't find it. I looked for peace and satisfaction and fulfillment in wine. Couldn't find it. He then says, I looked for it in women. He was trying to find that satisfaction, that peace, that fulfillment in a relationship with another person. Some of you think if I could just find the person I'm supposed to be married to, I would never have a want for anything ever again. And you're going to settle for some Nimrod. And you're going to find yourself in a mess. Let me say that again to all you parents that have single children. You ready? You're going to find yourself with a Nimrod or a Nimred. Is that what a girl is? A Nimred? You're going to find yourself with the wrong one. And all of that that you think, I'm going to be so happy if I just fall in love. Here's what Solomon said. It's all vanity. And he looked and he looked and he looked and he looked and he discovered that outside of the Lord, there is no peace. There is no fulfillment. There is no satisfaction. And so this morning, I want us from the Old Testament narrative of numbers 
walk through a very familiar story that is one of my favorites in all the Bible. And I want to encourage you, child of God, because even as children of the King, sometimes our eyes begin to wander. The songwriter said, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And sometimes as a child of God, we get our eyes on the things of the world and off of the finisher of our faith. So I wanna encourage you today, look unto Jesus. And for those of you that are here this morning that maybe don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you don't know where your eternity lies because you're gonna live forever somewhere. I wanna encourage you this morning, look unto Jesus. Let's stand together and read our scripture this morning, beginning in Numbers chapter 21. I'll begin reading in verse five. If you're there, would you say amen? amen. The word of God says this, and the people, that's the people of God, the children of Israel, if you will, they spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people. And much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned and we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass... He lived. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to stand and open your word and share the good news of Jesus straight out of the Old Testament. And Lord, I pray for the saint of God here this morning that's been saved by God's amazing grace, whose eyes have begun to be enticed by the enemy and they've taken their eyes off of you. Lord, I pray this morning they'd get their eyes fixed and focused on you once again. And Lord, I pray for the unsaved in here this morning. Lord, there may be folks that walked out of here last week knowing that they did not have their eternity settled. But Lord, in your grace, you allowed them to be back this morning. You're pursuing them to have relationship with you. I pray this morning they would surrender unto you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Just a little background on this text. As we come to the book of Numbers, the people of God have come out of their Egyptian bondage. You remember they were there in Egypt for some 400 years in the brick pits of slavery in Egypt. God had told Abraham all the way back in the book of Genesis that your seed is going to be in a strange land for some 400 years. And after 400 years of bondage in Egypt, the Lord God did a mighty work and a mighty miracle by bringing the people out through the blood. You'll remember that. 
And then they found themselves not very long later hemmed in by the Red Sea and the Lord God did a mighty work again and did a mighty miracle again and the wind began to blow and the people of God went across the Red Sea on dry ground and then Pharaoh's army was destroyed as they tried to pursue the children of Israel. Those events, the setting free of the people of God from the brick pits of slavery in Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea are events that those folks still celebrate in a mighty way today. God did a mighty work for them. They have been released from 400 years of Egyptian bondage. They have wandered in the wilderness now for some 40 years. And as we come to Numbers chapter 21, they are ending that 40 years of wandering. It's about time to enter into the promised land. But as they're on the cusp of entering in, they find themselves once again dealing with difficulty. They become discouraged and then they become disobedient. But God's gonna find a way and he provides provision for them. And as we said, God always has a man and he always has a plan. And so this morning, if you're taking notes, I want you to see, first of all, the rebellion of the sour. The rebellion of the sour. We're just going to walk straight through this text this morning. And it's found in verse 5. Notice what verse 5 says. The people spake against God and against Moses. They say, why you brought us out here in Egypt in the wilderness? There's not anything to eat. There's no water. And we can't stand this manna. That's the Chad Campbell version. We're sick of this manna. You've brought us out here to die. We would have been better off, Moses, to just stay over in Egypt. Now, the question we've got to ask is this. What caused them to get so discouraged and disgruntled that they became disobedient and started complaining against Moses? What was it that happened that caused them to get so upset? that they just told Moses, we'd have been better off if we'd been back in Egypt. It's found in verses one through four. But before we read verses one through four, I want you to tell me when we read these verses how relevant the Bible is. And it's as if we are reading the front page of the newspaper today. You ready? Verse one of Numbers 21. And when King Arad, the Canaanite, which dwelt where? In the south heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them, what? Prisoners. So King Arad, Canaanite, hears about all the things that God's doing in the nation of Israel. He just invades and he takes some of them prisoners. And Israel, verse two, vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, if thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hands, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened unto the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities, and he called the name of the place Hormah. The Canaanites in the south had heard about all the things that God was doing for the people of God. They invaded, took some of them prisoner. And the people of God said, Lord, if you'll give us the strength, we'll go wipe them out. 
And that's exactly what they did. And when they came against the Canaanites, man, it looked as if it was a hurricane rolling through South Miami in the fourth quarter. Y'all's up at Camp McCall. Y'all didn't have to watch that. Thank the Lord for that. Amen. They wiped out the Canaanites. And now that they've had a great victory over the Canaanites, it's time to go into the promised land. And it's not that far of a journey to enter into the promised land. But what you're going to find out is notice verse four. And they journeyed from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. It's time to go in the promised land. And the shortest route into the promised land is through the land of Edom. But they got a message from the descendants of the Edomites. You know who, who, who the father of the Edomites was? Esau. So they got a message from the Edomites that said this, don't come through our land. If you come through our land, we will take you out. Do not come through our land. You go around. And here's what happened. The journey around Edom in the wilderness was a difficult journey. We've been there. Just a few weeks ago, man, you get out in the middle of that desert, out in the middle of that wilderness, it's some rough terrain. And they had to go all the way around. And, and because of this difficult journey, they became discouraged. And discouraged people often become disgruntled people. Because when discouraged people are discouraged, they want everybody else around them to be discouraged. Because if everybody's discouraged, then everybody can get disgruntled. And then everybody can start complaining. That's exactly what happened. They got discouraged and then they decided, you know what? Moses don't know what he's doing. And they rebelled because of how they were led. Notice verse five, they complained against God and against Moses. It's gotta be Moses' fault. Now, here's the people that are complaining. 40 years earlier, these folks that are complaining, their daddies and their mamas complained to Moses as well and said, hey, we're going to elect us a leader. We need a new leader instead of you, Moses. And we're going to elect us a new leader to go back to Egypt. You don't need a leader to go backwards. You can go backwards all by yourself. Amen. So these kids have watched their parents complain about Moses. So what did they start doing? They did the same thing. They start complaining about Moses as well. Hey, dad, these kids are just doing the same thing they watched their daddy do. I want you, if you're a dad, I want you to lean in and listen to me. Do you know the statistics prove out that if daddy gets saved, there's a 93% greater chance that your entire family comes to faith in Christ. You want your kids to know Jesus? I'd find a place of repentance and faith. If your kids follows you into eternity, where are they going to follow you to? 
It's almost as if they had forgotten about the harshness of the brick pits of slavery in Egypt so that when adversity came, they just blamed Moses. And it hadn't been that many years ago that they crossed the Red Sea. And you remember when they crossed the Red Sea, man, they had a party. And they sang to Moses and told him what a great leader that he was. And here, they're ready to kill him. That's why I know some of these people were Baptists. Because they went from celebration to discouragement to blaming the man God had sent to them. And that, listen, they had just had Pastor Appreciation Day. <laughs> they took up a love offering for Moses, put his rod, his staff out in the vestibule for everybody to look at. He was taking pictures with people. The chairman of deacons got up and talked about how awesome he was. And now they're ready to run him out of town. Let me say this to you. The state of South Carolina leads the nation in forced pastoral terminations. Here's what that means is that the, con the, ba the Southern Baptist congregations of South Carolina fire more pastors than any other state in the United States. Secondly, the state of South Carolina leads the nation in pastoral suicide because of the pressure that gets applied. I thank God that I'm not in a place that tries to blame the pastor every time something goes wrong. Amen? We blame Dale. He's right down here on the front. Dale Tyre is his name. If it goes wrong, he did it, right? Here's the thing. If anything good happens here, it's God's fault. Let me say that again. If anything good happens here, it ain't the preacher's doing, it ain't the congregation's doing. If anything good happens here, it's God's fault. If anything bad happens here, it's our fault. I'm getting ahead of my message here, but, but Moses ain't the problem. The manna ain't the problem. The mirror is the problem. The person I have the most trouble with looks at me in the mirror every single morning. Well, they complained about how they were led, but then they complained about how they were fed. In verse five, they said, there's no bread, there's no water, and our souls loathe at this light bread. We are disgusted by this manna. We're sick of it. That manna is what God used to sustain them for 40 years. It was new each morning. It was their daily bread. It had all the nutrients that they needed for the day. Psalm 78 describes manna as angel food. John 3, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I'm the one that fed you while you were there in the wilderness. Can you hear these complainers? Can you hear them? Oh my, I'm so sick of this manna, I could scream. Manna for breakfast. Then we put some up, we have some tomorrow. I have fried it. I have broiled it. I have boiled it. I've tried to put it on a sandwich. We've tried to make gumbo out of it. We've tried, we've tried everything. I'm sick of this manna. Can you hear them? They rebelled. And they said, we're sick 
of this stuff. So we see the rebellion of the sour. See, they got discouraged. They got disgruntled. Then they began to complain and rebel against God's, God himself, God's person in Moses and God's provision in the manna. So there's the rebellion of the sour, but there's the retribution from the sovereign. How many of you know you don't sin and get by with it? There's a price to pay for sin. There are always consequences. I'm sure Pastor Colin has shared that with the youth over and over and over. There are consequences to our decisions. There's going to be some consequences to their rebellion. Well, what's it going to be? Look at verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Could you imagine reaching under your pew to get your Bible and a rattlesnake just ease up next to your arm? Now, let me tell you something. I take the same position on snakes that every godly man in America does. They're all bad. Now, I know I gave my father-in-law a hard time. He was in the first service sitting right back here. We rolled up to his house one day, and he's got a snake, and he's holding it up like this, and it still ain't off the ground. And I said, you're crazy. In the name of Jesus, I tell you. He's crazy. But he's one of those people that believes there's good snakes. Well, you know, they get rid of the poisons. Kill them all, and you don't have to worry about any of them. Right? And when you kill them, you cut their head off. When you cut their head off, you throw the head that direction, and you throw the body that direction, because them satanic things will come back together if you ain't careful. You get rid of them. I am scared to, I talk about this and it's funny and I try to make fun of it because the truth of the matter is, I am scared to death of a snake. All of them. Well, you candy. Well, you help yourself. <laughs> These were fiery serpents, poisonous snakes. And when the fangs of those snakes would pierce the skin, of mama and daddy and children and grandchildren and college-age kids and high school kids, middle school kids, elementary school kids, 30-somethings, 40-somethings, 50-somethings, 60-somethings, 70-somethings, and 80-somethings, and 90-somethings. It did not matter the age of which you were, but when those fangs pierced through the skin, that poison would rush into the bloodstream, to the nervous system, and much people died. Can you imagine the groans coming from some of those tents? The pain 
of seeing one of your loved ones move to eternity? The chaos that was created among the people? Death everywhere. Paul told us in the book of Romans that the wages of sin is death. And the truth is we've all sinned and we've been bitten by the serpent of sin. And we deserve to be separated from God for all of eternity in what is called spiritual death. Now we will all experience physical death But for the child of God, we'll never experience spiritual death because we've been made alive in Christ. Ephesians says we were once dead, but we've been quickened because of Jesus Christ. But for those of you that have never been saved by God's grace, it's not eternal life you will inherit. It is eternal death. Years ago, there was a guy that worked at the Australian Zoo. And in a drunken stupor one night, he reached inside the cage of a cobra. And he thought that if he could bring this poisonous snake up close to his chest, he could, he could warm that snake. Well, it wasn't very long until that snake struck and bit him right between the eyes. They rushed him to the hospital. And on the way to the hospital, he made this statement. I'm a dead man. His speech went soonly thereafter, his hearing soon after, his sight soon after, and within an hour, he was dead. And the only sign of it were two small marks on the bridge of his nose. I would say to you, it doesn't matter to me, and it doesn't matter to the Lord Jesus. More importantly, if you have your toe in the sea of sinfulness, or if you are completely submerged in the sea of sinfulness, we have all earned the same thing because of our sin. And that is separation from God for all of eternity. There's the rebellion of the sour. There's the retribution from the sovereign. Notice with me thirdly in verse seven, we're just walking right through the the passage here. The recognition of their sin. Verse 7 says, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. We've spoken against the Lord and against thee. Praying to the Lord that he would take away these serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. I would submit to you this morning that verse 7 is a glorious recognition. Because when you come to the conclusion that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness and you need to be delivered from the judgment that is upon you, business is about to pick up. Because when you realize that you're lost, that's a gift from God. Because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And when he opens your eyes to your lostness, that is a wonderful, wonderful time. They come to Moses and they say, we have sinned. I didn't say this in the first service, but what if you would have been Moses? Man, I've been trying to lead you people for 40 years, and it's y'all's fault these snakes is here anyway, right? No, Moses is a true man of God. True man of God. They said, Moses, would you pray for us? 
We've sinned. We were wrong. And the Bible says Moses began to pray for them because genuine conviction had settled into their soul. They repented for their disobedience. They weren't blaming anyone else now for their problems. They knew it was theirs. You see, Moses wasn't the problem and manna wasn't the problem. It was a me problem. You see, y'all won't stand before Jesus. You will stand before Jesus. He's a personal Savior. And we will all stand before Him individually. And it won't be somebody else's fault. It'll be your sin. It'll be my sin. There's the rebellion of the sour. There's the retribution from the sovereign man. Judgment came in the form of these snakes. There's the recognition of their sin. But then notice with me lastly, there's the remedy for the sick. Look at verse 8. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Can you see the people coming to Moses? Moses, we've got to do something. Our children, our grandchildren, our spouses, our grandparents, our, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. Moses, we've got to do something. They're dying. And we've sinned, so Lord, so Moses, would you pray for us? And Moses begins to pray, and God says, Moses, I want you to make a brass serpent and put it up on a wooden pole and lift it up high so that it can be seen easily and it can be accessed easily. And when the people look at that brass serpent, they can look and be healed. Does that sound familiar to anybody? John chapter 3, listen to this. Listen to the words of John in John chapter 3. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want you to notice with me just a few things about this remedy. Number one, it was the sole remedy. There wasn't 15 ways to be healed from this snake bite. I'm sure everybody tried their own way. You know, I watched on a Western one time, a man got bit by a poisonous snake and some goofball would just try to suck the poison out of his arm where he got bit. I think we'll try that. Wrong answer. You know what? I think we can just put a tourniquet on your arm. And if you put a tourniquet on your arm, I, I think that'll do it. Wrong answer. 
I think if we can just get you to the right doctor and we can get the right potion, we can get you taken care of. Wrong answer. There was only one solution to the snake bite. It was a sole solution. And it was looking unto this bronze serpent that Moses was holding up in the wilderness. Jesus said it this way in the New Testament. I am the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way. There's a sole remedy. And if I ask you this morning, have you been saved by God's amazing grace? If I could, if I could bring each one of you down here individually and look at you and say, sir, ma'am, young person, have you been saved by God's grace? My question is this, what would your answer be? So let's rehearse it real quickly. You ready? Are you saved? If that was the answer, yes, I got a follow-up question. How do you know? Some of you, your mind has run back to your baptism. That's the wrong place to run to. Oh, but preacher, I got baptized. Listen, we can baptize you to the tadpoles know your social security number and you can die and go to hell. Some of you have run to the time you joined the church. I'm a member of the church. Can I remind you in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, in that day, and I'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Are you saved? If your answer is anything other, but there came a day in my life that the Lord, the Lord convicted me of my sin and I realized I was a lost sinner and I knew there was no way for me to get to heaven except through him and I repented of my sin, placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, surrendered my life to him and I used to be the boss of my life and now he's the boss of my life and I've I ain't got it all right since then, preacher, but I'm just here to tell you, I've surrendered my life to him and I don't have any doubt whatsoever that when I exhale here on this earth for the last time, I'm gonna inhale over in glory for the first time. Praise be to his name. I'm looking unto the author and the finisher of my faith. There's a soul remedy. Secondly, it was a sufficient remedy. Let me ask you a question. How many times did people have to look Just one time. And how many of the people that looked lived? Every one of them. The remedy is sufficient to save. Hey, there is a remedy. There is a bomb of Gilead. And his name is Jesus. And he can... Do what no other man can do for you when saving you and your sin-sick soul. You have been bitten by the serpent of sin and you need to experience the soul and the sufficient solution. Oh, it's a soul remedy. It's a sufficient remedy. 
but it's a sure remedy. Let me tell you, when you repent of your sin, place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, ain't no doubt about it. If you look, you live. There's no if, and, or but about it. The scriptures tell us, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I can see some of those those Israelites sitting in their tents searching for a cure. And it's right there. They've gathered their family around and they're searching for what the cure is going to be for all of this death that is happening. And they're having discussions amongst the family. What do y'all think we should do? What do you think we should do? What do you think we should do? The remedy's already been provided. Just look. Just look and live. Now, the truth of the matter is, is God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. It would have been real easy to just get rid of the snakes. Just get rid of the snakes. But that wasn't the solution. The solution in our day would be easy. Just get rid of sin. Just get rid of sin. And we'll all be glorious, right? That's not how God works. Because of our sin, we've inherited, we've earned, we deserve to be separated from Christ for all of eternity in a place called hell. That's what we deserve. And if you're here today and you think you're too good and you don't deserve hell because of your sin, Sir, ma'am, you are confused about who you really are and who God really is. We have all sinned. And that's what we deserve. That's what we've earned. And wouldn't it be easy if God just said, I'm just going to remove the sin, but that's not what he did. He sent a savior. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come down here and die on the cross and endure the wrath of the Father that we should have endured. And he took it all upon himself so that we could live, so that we might look and live. They put him in a borrowed tomb, but three days later, he came up gloriously, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And he's alive forevermore. And he's come searching. And he's looking for the lost that they might be saved. Charles Spurgeon. He was a mega pastor before anybody ever knew what a mega pastor was. This is a guy that you had to get tickets three or four weeks before the Sunday that he would preach inside of his own church. He would ask his church members not to come back on Sunday night so that all of the lost people could get into the auditorium. This is a man who has more sermons written in print form today than any preacher that's ever lived. And he talks about being a young man coming to the conclusion that he was lost. 
And he said he sat and he heard many fine messages, but he never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Charles Spurgeon got up one snowy Sunday morning. What was he doing? He's searching. He's looking. And he's looking for something that will satisfy his soul. He's looking for something that will bring that fulfillment that he's heard these preachers talk about. He's looking for something that will bring peace that passes understanding. And that snowy Sunday morning, he made his way to his church and his church was shut down because the weather was so bad that morning. He began to walk the streets and he found a light on at a small little church and he made his way in and he sat down with just a few other people. The pastor was unable to be there that day. But one of the deacons got up, stood in the pulpit and began to read the scriptures and began to share about Jesus. And he got over to Isaiah 45, 22. And Spurgeon said that deacon just looked at him and said, look unto Jesus for he will save. And Charles Spurgeon said, at that moment, I realized that Jesus was the only way. And that deacon, he said, looked at me and said, son, you're in grave trouble. You're looking everywhere except looking to Jesus. And Spurgeon said that day, glory filled his soul. He was marvelously saved because finally, after looking in all the other places for that fulfillment, after looking in all the other places for that satisfaction, after looking in all those other places for that peace, he found it when he looked to Jesus. Looking for satisfaction this morning? Looking for peace that passes understanding. Looking for true fulfillment. Can I encourage you this morning? You'll only find it when you're looking unto Jesus. So here's the invitation. Let me speak to those of you that are saved. You're saved, you know you're saved. You know there was a time in your life that you repented of your sins, placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your name recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, you know you're headed to heaven. Let me speak to you for just a second. Even as a child of the King, from time to time, our eyes can begin to wander. And we begin to get focused on the things of this world. And that peace that passes understanding is still there, but man, it it just isn't as sweet as it once was. Can I encourage you this morning, child of God? Let's get our eyes fixed on Him and look unto Jesus. Secondly, let me speak to you if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. I want to say this to you unequivocally. He loves you. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. If you're here this morning without God, you're lost. It's my prayer that he's opened your eyes to your lost condition. And this morning, you've decided, I'm surrendering my life to Christ today. I'm surrendering to him through repentance and faith and the best way I know how, I'm gonna begin looking unto Jesus because I've looked everywhere else for it. 
And I hadn't found the meaning of life. I haven't found satisfaction in life. I haven't found whatever it will that will fill that God-sized hole that is in my soul. So today I'm looking unto Jesus and allow him to become the author of your salvation. As we stand to our feet, we're gonna have a song of invitation. Can I ask you a question? Just real quick, let me ask you one question. Are you saved? How do you know? Have your eyes gotten focused on some of the wrong things? Listen, that can happen to all of us, amen? It can happen to those that stand in the pulpit and those who sit in the pew, amen? And may we this morning get our eyes focused on him. Whatsoever he says unto you during this invitation, do it. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.